Hillary Clinton says she would have won the election if not for James Comey, Russian hackers, and WikiLeaks. Now, isn't there something she's forgetting, something she's leaving out? Oh, yeah, I remember. Benghazi, illegal private email servers, destruction of evidence, special access to big Clinton Foundation donors. Those things might have also had something to do with her losing. Now, not to mention, let's give credit, President Trump's inspiring message of hope, Jared Kushner's strategies. I mean, uh, I don't think this is just James Comey's fault. Uh, Hillary almost lost in the primaries to a 75-year-old socialist fruitcake. Uh, ironically, by the way, she blames James Comey. James Comey is pretty much the only reason that Hillary isn't in jail right now because he decided not to prosecute. His name is Yaakov M. Remember, access to the Friday's bonus show. If you want the bonus code, email thejewishnewschannel at gmail.com or you can text Follow from News Channel to 40404. All right, let me quickly run through some news news briefs, and then I'll do some in-depth analysis after that. Big news on Thursday. The House will vote to repeal and replace Obamacare. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy says they do have the votes to win. This could be a major, major victory for President Trump just after his first 100 days. Mark, moderates were concerned about the waiver that allows states to opt out of the pre-existing coverage mandate, pre-existing condition mandate. So the president offered them $8 billion additional to add to the high-risk pool to help offset that concern. Two very influential congressmen, Fred Upton of Michigan and Billy Long of Missouri, switched their vote from no to yes, which it is believed led other congressmen to switch as well. We're going to keep you updated on the results of that vote. Obviously, this, this, as I said, this could be huge. And thank goodness that Congress goes on vacation so incredibly often because they would never pass any bills otherwise. They're always passing bills right before vacation because they want to get it in there. So thank goodness for that. On Wednesday, of course, President Trump met with Mahmoud Abbas. We'll get into that in depth in a moment. FBI Director James Comey told the Senate in a hearing that he is mildly nauseous. That's his quote, that he may have impacted the election outcome. He announced in late October that he reopened the investigation into the Hillary email server scandal, but he just had no choice. He said he would make the same decision over again. He had no right to suppress the information from the public. They have a right to know. It amazes me that he gets blamed. I mean... Bottom line, she's the one who committed the crimes. Like, let's say she had killed somebody and they had investigated. That uh, You'd blame the investigator. You'd blame the officers who, arrest, who arrested her for interfering with the election. Maybe blame the person who actually committed the crime was being investigated. North Korea has captured a third American citizen. That means three Americans are now sitting in a North Korean prison. Kim Jong-un says that they committed, quote, acts of hostility aimed at overthrowing the government, which... As we know, in North Korea, that means that they're guilty of being American. That's all, that's, that's all you need to be considered a, a, a hostile uh, enemy who's trying to overthrow the government. All right, let's get into the Mahmoud Abbas meeting. I believe that this is very, very positive for Israel, and I'll explain why. Uh, the president did raise those concerns. and this, Let me quote Sean Spicer here. The president raised concerns about the payments to Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails who have committed acts of terror and to their families and emphasized the need to resolve that issue. That's what Sean Spicer said right after the meeting. So President Trump, give him credit. He brought it up. He didn't in his public statement, but he did it in private with Mahmoud Abbas. And look, he's under a lot. Now you could say, well, it should have been stronger. He should have given them an ultimatum. And we'll get into this in a moment. There is a bill in the House right now that's being worked on, has not been voted on yet, uh, to actually stop funding to the Palestinian Authority uh, unless they end this insanity of funding terror, terrorist families, of, of paying money to support the families of terrorists who are in prison or 
who, who were killed because they killed themselves, uh, killing other people. Now, the president's under a lot of pressure, though. I, you know, Look, if you want to say it should have been stronger, if you want to say you should have threatened him, I will grant you that would have been very, very, very nice. But look, let's look at Obama for eight years, who, who would never, ever have brought this up. In a million years. I mean, Mr. Weak, spineless apologist Barack Obama. So, you know, compared to that, I mean, this is a far cry from that. And the first time, and President Trump, he's not confrontational. He'll shoot his mouth off when he's doing a rally in front of 10,000 people, a crowd. But then when he meets face-to-face with Obama or these other people, he'll actually be more of a gentleman. So I, I actually believe that it was a little bit of a struggle for him. So, look, it, it's a positive development. And I'm going to quote the forward here. The forward is not a, a very right-wing paper. Senators Marco Rubio, Lindsey Graham, and Todd Cotton urged Trump in a letter they sent Tuesday to convince Abbas on this issue, stressing that some families received the stipends. Uh, who receive the stipends are responsible for the killing of U.S. citizens, not just Israelis. In addition, families of terror victims sent a letter to Reince Priebus asking Trump to demand from Mr. Abbas an immediate end to the PA's policy of paying stipends to terrorists. Trump's decision, this is the forward now, to raise the issue with Abbas and publicly announce that he has done so marks a victory for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who made the payments a focal point of Israel's public diplomacy efforts in recent months. But but here, get this. This shows you their liberalism. It also comes at a difficult time for Abbas, who is dealing with a hunger strike by thousands of Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails and expected to show support for their struggle. you got to be kidding me. I mean, again, with this sympathizing with these prisoners, with these terrorists who are starving themselves to death in some kind of show of protest? I mean, give me a break. Oh, I feel so bad for Abbas. He has to deal with a hunger strike. How is he going to denounce terror and announce that that, that he stopped He's going to stop spending $300 million a year to support terrorists and their families. Now, th- but now let's get to the main sort of content here of the actual statements made by President Trump and Mahmoud Abbas. And uh, here's the deal. I believe that President Trump is not going to pressure Israel. And I could be wrong. But it's this sounded to me, if you really read between the lines, sounded to me like he's not going to pressure Israel. He's going to lay off. And uh, he did vow to come up with a with with, with uh, some kind of peace agreement, but he did not give any specifics. Now, here's an interesting quote from President Trump: "I'm committed to working with Israel and the Palestinians to reach an agreement, but any agreement cannot be imposed by the United States or any other nation. The Palestinians and Israelis must work together to reach an agreement that allows both peoples to live, worship, and thrive, and and, and prosper in peace. I'll do whatever is necessary to facilitate the agreement, mediate, arbitrate anything they like to do. But I would love to be a mediator or arbitrator, facilitator, and we will get this done." Uh, now, he said other things too, but the thrust was, listen, I'm hands off. I want to get this done. We'll get it done. But we're getting it done on their terms. Now, let me explain why this is a big deal. Every president in modern history has vowed to finally end the conflict in the Middle East, to finally bring peace to the Middle East. The Bushes, uh, President Clinton, uh, Obama, you know, Bush Jr. And, uh, and, and look, it ne- obviously, as we know, it never worked. Clinton got the closest when he almost got us to give back part of Yerushalayim, amazingly, and thank goodness Yasser Arafat refused because we would have done it. And that was the closest. He was really frustrated. Clinton couldn't stand Yasser Arafat after that for ruining his legacy of uh, being the guy to bring peace to the Middle East. And every president does the same thing. They come into office. They vow they're going to do it. They're going to do it. It's going to happen. This time is going to be different. And it never, ever happens, mostly because the Palestinians are impossible. They don't want this. You think you think Abbas wants You think the leaders want this? They want to be... Uh, the the victims, the martyrs who are being oppressed 
by the big evil Israelis. They, they like that. They get more publicity. They get more money that way. If they had to run their own country, forget it. So, you know, you really wonder what, what the agendas here are. But anyway, that's the good news is if President Trump was going to start forcing Netanyahu, threatening him to stop building settlements, and if he was going to make other demands, that to me would be a majorly bad sign. But the fact that he's going hands off, if things stay status quo, I mean, look, Israel, the Israelis have to secure their country. It's not easy. And of course, there are terror attacks and th- these things are really, 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 it's, it's a struggle. I'm not trying to minimize it, but... You know, for the most part, the Israelis can fend for themselves. They just need to not have the pressure from the United States, from President Trump. So I think, reading between the lines here, President Trump is saying, listen, Israelis, you guys do whatever you need to do. I'm going to make the right statements. I'll go through the motions. But let's face it, you guys have a right to defend yourselves. Here's Abbas's just reprehensible quote. Mr. President, it's about time for Israel to end its occupation. This is in the middle of his statement. Occupation of our people and our land. After 50 years, we are the only remaining people in the world that still live under occupation. I mean, can you believe this? We are aspiring want to achieve our freedom, dignity, and our right to self-determination. We also want for Israel to recognize the Palestinian state, just the Palestinian people recognize the state of Israel. <laughs> oh, yeah. When did they start recognizing the state of Israel? Mr. President, I affirm to you that we are raising our youth, children, grandchildren on a culture of peace. We are endeavoring to bring about security, freedom, and peace for our children to live like other children in the world, along with the Israeli children in peace, freedom, and security. Oh, yeah. Raising your kids in peace. Raising your kids to live in peace with the Israelis. You're raising your kids. You're indoctrinating them. You're brainwashing them to kill Jews. That's, that's, that's what they learn in school. It's part of your law is that you'll pay them dearly. You'll pay millions to their families to support them if they commit acts of terror. So to get up there and to say that you're occupied by the Israelis right there in the White House, I mean, that's just infuriating. Again, I don't know if you can expect Trump to kind of say anything at that moment. He's got to be diplomatic, or does he? I don't know. Listen, folks, if you think, hey, President Trump should have been stronger, I, I get it. I'm, I'm torn. But I, I really think that all, all in all, this was really super positive. Uh, okay, we'll get to a couple more things. Here, before we run out of time, uh, Ben Carson was touring the New York Times with this big piece. Ben Carson, of course, is the secretary of HUD, Housing and Urban Development, and uh, he was going through a lot of, they bring him through a lot of these uh, rundown neighborhoods, neighborhoods of homeless people and very, you know, dilapidated neighborhoods, a lot of druggies and, and uh, needy people, poor, very poor urban areas. And, uh, you know, the New York Times is offended because Ben Carson says, you know what, I'm going to help these people learn how to fend for themselves. This is amazing. Here's Ben Carson's quote. Compassionate means not giving people a comfortable uh, setting that makes them say, I'll just stay here. They'll just take care of me. In other words, Ben Carson's uh, position is, and of course it's based on President Trump, is don't make it overly comfortable. Don't give them all the amenities. Don't give them these fancy hotel rooms. He says, yeah, there's some sick people, some people who are mentally ill, but a lot of people are completely fine. All their faculties are intact, but they simply don't try. They never were forced to try to get a job because the government takes care of them and all you're doing is you're enabling them. And this is so fundamental. And the New York Times makes it like, oh, wow, you know, he's so cruel. You know, How could he be so cold-hearted? They didn't say it, but trust me, those were the overtones of the article. And, and this is really fundamental because this is what conservatism is all about. Ben Carson is saying, who do you think helps these druggies? Who do you think helps these people who have become dependent on society and who have zero independence? Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, they're leaders. They encourage them to be dependent. They'll never be happy. They'll never be successful or productive. They'll always be waiting for government handouts. We're going to tell them, listen, you've got to make an effort. This this is not going to be easy. We're going to give you the support you need. We're not going to abandon you, but we're not going to make it a a, a five-star hotel where you have cable TV 
and all the amenities, room service and everything else. You know, we're going to make it uncomfortable. We're going to give you some discomfort so that you say to yourself, you know what, maybe I should have incentive to work for a living. And it's true. People get dependent. It's not just a drug thing. People get dependent on handouts. They get dependent on living off of others, and they can't produce. They can't succeed. And that's not helpful. That's not healthy. It's a terrible way to live. It's, it's just – it's awful. It's, it's a life of dependency. It's a life of misery. And Ben Carson's saying, well, we can do – we don't have to hand them fish. We could teach a man to fish. And that's the conservative. The conservatives don't not care. The conservatives don't hate p- people living in urban areas. The conservatives don't hate people who come from lower class families, lower income families who can't afford to sustain themselves. That's the, 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 the mainstream media's narrative. The conservatives, I care about people. I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm very sensitive. I see homeless people. I actually give them money. When I see homeless people, whether they're Jewish or not Jewish, and I pass them in my car, I can't help it. They say, you know, please help us. And for all I know, they're wasting money on cigarettes and alcohol. But you know what? I can't help it. I feel bad for them. I open the window, and I hand them, you know, a dollar or some change or whatever I happen to, to have available. So I really do feel that compassion. But you know what? We're just going to go and give them handouts and bankrupt the country. You're not helping anybody. You're not helping the people who you're taking the money from, and you're not helping the people you're giving the money to. And that's Ben Carson's point. And it's amazing. The New York Times quotes one of these homeless people, sees Ben Carson, says, oh, he's a Trump guy. Quote, that's what the rich do. They make it hard for the poor. Well, excuse me, how are they making it hard exactly? You made it hard for you, or maybe your parents or your upbringing did, because you're not working for a living, and you're not doing what you, what a responsible adult would do. I'm not blaming you. It might not be your fault, but he's not making it hard for you. He's trying to make it easy for you, but they've come to believe, they have this mindset that, well, we're just entitled. So if they don't get every single luxury, if their government doesn't completely take care of them, then somehow they're out to get them. And the New York Times actually quotes this. How dare they quote this as if it's like some kind of legitimate quote? I mean, I understand these people are suffering, but these are the good guys. Ben Carson's the good guy. And, you know, finally, I just want to get back to Hillary for one second, the Hillary campaign, because two things that don't get enough attention, why Hillary really lost. And number one is that uh, Jared Kushner, Jared Kushner got together with some Facebook genius and they were actually targeting people in swing states. They were targeting African-American, mostly women in swing states who were going to vote for Hillary. And they actually had special ads on their Facebook accounts. They were able, yeah, Facebook's really sophisticated. They're able to target these people and show them uh, some video of of Hillary basically uh, saying negative things about black people. So, which obviously the black people found very offensive. Now, did they go out and vote for Trump? No, but they didn't vote. They stayed home, a lot of them. So give credit to Jared Kushner for recognizing that Facebook strategy is the way to win elections in 2016. And number two, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton told the Hillary campaign, he said, you, you, you can't, she did not go into Wisconsin one time. She took it for granted and she lost Wisconsin. And many of these states she didn't go into. Trump was running from state to state. He never rested and Hillary was home resting. And, uh, you know, Minnesota and other swing states that, and even Democrat states, even, even blue states that, that Hillary took for granted. And Bill Clinton said, these are blue-collar workers. You need them, and they're going to vote for Trump. And her campaign laughed at Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton's a smart guy. He's a shrewd politician. I don't like him, but I respect him. He's good. And Hillary didn't. She didn't respect him. That's why she lost the election, not because James Comey investigated, not because of some Russian hackers. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, oh, bonus show, Friday. Email us if you want the code, thejewishnewschannel at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.